You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Josh Raymond. Good morning, Central Church family. Isn't it a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Wow. A lot of you, the first service wasn't as full as this second service. <laughs> so it's good to be here with you. For those of you that do not know me, uh, my name, my official long name is Josue Ramos Rojas. Okay? Don't try it. <laughs> uh, but most people know me as Josh Ramos, and I am one of the pastors here at Centro. I have the privilege of being the multiply pastor in charge of... Uh, uh, small group ministry and uh, what's coming up also some of you already know we're going to be launching a Spanish campus it's going to be called Central en Español and that's coming up in January okay but uh, I'm not here to talk about myself I'm here to preach the word this morning and I know you were standing there for a while while we were singing but I'm going to ask you to stand for one more moment as we read the word of God We've been going through the Ten Commandments, and I have the privilege of preaching on the Ninth Commandment. And we're going to read out of Exodus 20, verse 16. <laughs> and it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. How about if we pray? We thank you, God, that we could be gathered in this place. This is your house. We are here. We are honored to be in this house. We have sung to you. We have read scripture. We have done many things, and now we will preach the word. Open our hearts, Lord. May we understand what's going to be preached, Lord. May we apply it first to our lives, and then be ready to share it with others. It is our prayer this morning, and the people of God say, you may be seated. I have titled my sermon this morning, Be a True Witness. Be a True Witness. If the ninth commandment says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, the opposite should be you should bear a true witness in favor of your neighbor. The God of the Bible is the God of truth. The God of the Bible is a truth-speaking God. And just as the previous three commandments that we've gone through uh, the ninth commandment prohibits a specific action that harms our neighbors directly and goes against God's nature and his character. It contradicts how God operates, how he moves, how uh, he intervenes in our lives. Jesus said, John 14, 6, many of you know it by memory, I am the way the truth, and the life. We often abbreviate this commandment, the ninth commandment, and just say, you shall not lie. While this abbreviation does maintain the true sense of that commandment, it tends to oversimplify what we're talking about. <laughs> In the eyes of God, a lie is more than just the absence of truth. Even truth, can be used to tell lies when it is manipulated in a deceitful way. 
The fundamental nature of a lie is the intention to deceive someone or deceive a group. There's always a conniving spirit behind the action of bearing false witness. So what is this commandment specifically dealing with? You might ask. Well, I'm glad you asked. This commandment deals with the despicable action of adversely affecting an innocent person or party through a variety of deceiving schemes with the goal of having some gain, uh, be it property, be it position, or even recognition at the expense of another person. The way it's initially presented here when we read, uh, um, you know, you shall uh, bear, uh, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You hear the word witness and it seems to be court related, right? However, it's not limited to the courthouse. It actually applies to all areas of life. And today I'm going to ask three questions and hopefully be successful in answering them. Number one. How do we bear false witness against our neighbor? Number two, why do we bear false witness against our neighbor? And number three, how do we bear true witness in favor of our neighbor? So let's get started here with my first point. How do we bear false witness against our neighbor? The Bible presents a series of examples of bearing false witness and And due to time, I'm not going to cover all of them. Of course not. Uh, We're only going to cover a few. But first, let's explain briefly what does it mean to bear false witness. Well, we bear false witness when we exchange the truth for a lie. We exchange the truth for a lie by maybe overstating our qualities. uh, Bearing false witness about yourself to give an untrue impression. How about slandering, bearing false witness about another in order to take or keep something from them? How about lying to hide your own sin? That means bearing false witness to avoid getting caught. We could also bear false witness when we alter the truth. And how we do that? (laughs) We alter the truth by exaggerating, stretching the truth to obtain a greater response or misrepresentation, telling only part of the truth to control perception, or misleading, being intentionally vague to limit others' awareness of what's going on. Number three, we bear false witness when we hijack the truth. You know what that is? We hijack the truth by gossiping, telling truth that is not ours to tell, or withholding information, keeping truth that is not ours to keep. This one, controlling the narrative, abusing position, influence, authority to control the meaning of certain facts. How about when we bear witness, we bear false witness with concealing the truth? Yes. Even our silence can be a lie in the sight of God. Remaining silent when we have a moral obligation to speak is bearing false witness by willfully allowing untruth to prevail. Staying quiet for selfish convenience. What's that? Knowingly allowing another to suffer harm for fear of the cost of defending them. It's going to cost me something. I'll keep it to myself. 
Staying quiet for selfish revenge. Knowingly allowing another to suffer harm on the basis of a personal grudge you might have on that person. How about withholding evidence? Knowingly withholding relevant information that pertains to the due course of justice. Those are just a few examples of what do we mean when we bear false witness against our neighbor. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles, if you have your Bibles in a literal form or on your tablet. Just leave it open in 1 Kings 21. We're not going to read out of it, but we find the story of Naboth. Some people say Naboth, some people say Naboth. I change around sometimes, so don't get confused. You may recall that Naboth had a vineyard that happened to be located beside the palace of King Ahab. The king wanted that vineyard so badly that he offered to buy it or even trade it from Naboth. Nonetheless, Naboth rejected the offer from the king. And he told him, hey, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Any normal person would have just said, okay, just let it go. The guy doesn't want to sell it to me. The guy doesn't want to, uh, you know, trade with me. But King Ahab, acting like a spoiled teenager, went home vexed and sullen. And if you're like me and don't know what those words mean, <laughs> basically King Ahab went home angry and he was resentfully silent. He laid down on his bed facing the other way and refused to eat anything. If you have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about here. What happens next is shocking. King Ahab's wife, the very infamous Jezebel, walks into the room and says, Honey, why is your spirit vexed that you eat no food? And Ahab answers with his whining tone. Well, I spoke to Naboth to buy his vineyard and he, he refused to sell it to me. And then Jezebel tells him, Don't you govern Israel? Stand up, eat some food and be glad because... I'm going to get that vineyard for you. Isn't she wonderful? Here's where the act of bearing false witness begins. Lie number one. Jezebel goes, finds uh, Ahab's seal, and starts writing a letter and sends it to the elders and the leaders of the city. That's already a lie in itself because she's wanting to impersonate her husband who is the king. But he's not writing the letter. Lie number two, she wrote, this is what she wrote. Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. Set two worthless men opposite of him and let them bring a charge against Naboth saying, and this is what they're going to, supposed to say, you have cursed God and the king. And then she puts a final instruction. Then take him out and stone him to death. Isn't she a wonderful lady? Before we go any further, it's crucial to understand the following. Witnesses were everything in the times of the Bible. There were no surveillance cameras. There were no audio recordings. There were no text messages, no emails, none of that. Okay? The only thing they had were witnesses. If someone stood up to accuse a person of a wrongdoing, and a second person stood up with the same accusation, the life of that accused person would be in jeopardy. 
In Deuteronomy 17.6, we read on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of only one witness. So that's what was established. And Jezebel takes that and uses it to her advantage, right? And finds two false witnesses. And that's how Naboth, Naboth ends up dead. So moving on with the story, the elders and leaders of the city did exactly what Jezebel had written. Of course, they thought it was coming from King Ahab. And what did they do? They stoned to death Naboth. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been killed, uh, she goes to uh, Ahab. Hey, honey, stand up, wake up. The vineyard's yours. Naboth is dead. And he did exactly what all men should do, right? Should have said, woman, what have you done? But he didn't. He said, really? And he went down. He took possession of Naboth's vineyard. Brothers and sisters, in this case, Naboth was the victim of someone bearing false witness against him. The worthless men were just simply bad actors there, but the person orchestrating the false witness was actually Jezebel. And of course, Ahab was complicit. He didn't do anything, but he didn't say no either. As you can see, this specific sin has the potential of leading to a path of a deadly consequence in the life of an innocent person. You still with me? Okay. I invite you to Exodus 23, verses 1 through 3, where we see the ninth commandment being expanded, detailed a little bit more. It says, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. There's a lot of things there to unpack. When we're talking about bearing false witness, we're talking about accusing someone of being guilty or wrong when they are in fact innocent. One thing is to initiate that false report. Another thing is to joining in with that person and saying, oh yeah, that's true when you know it's not. How about if everyone is siding with the many? The whole group is saying that's the case. Are we to join with them just because? Absolutely not. We're called to always take the side of the truth, even when we're the only ones doing it. Verse 3 says that we are not to be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. What does that mean? Well, even if we feel sympathetic for an individual that has some disadvantages, that needs you to lie, to be, uh, you know, given some benefit, some opportunity, or for even a need to be met, we are not to bear false witness. We are not to lie. That does not honor God. And the people of God say, okay. If you'd like to go with me to Proverbs 25, verse 18, we read the following. 
A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like one, a war club, two, a sword, or three, a sharp arrow. What do these three things have in common? Well, they are all meant to be used for destruction. And of course, these weapons of destruction don't work by themselves. Someone needs to operate them. Someone needs to trigger them. And I ask, whom do we know that loves to use these types of weapons for his purposes? For sure, it's not God. <laughs> yes, it's Satan himself. May we always remember what it says in John 8, 44. Satan is what? A liar. But we don't leave it there. He is what? The father of lies. It's his native language. <laughs> That's how he speaks. He's also a master of twisting the truth. As a matter of fact, the first lie in the Bible is attributed to who? To Satan. When he asked Eve in Genesis 3.1, he says, Oh, did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He twisted the truth. When a person, Christian or not, practices bearing false witness against their neighbor, you know what's going on? They are fulfilling the mission of Satan himself. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that shouldn't happen. That should not be. We're called to be true witnesses by diligently pursuing God's mission for his kingdom, for his glory. That's what we're called to do. Bearing a false witness against our neighbor is extremely destructive. It destroys society. It destroys harmony. It destroys relationships. It destroys the promotion of righteousness. And ultimately, it destroys people. But even more, it's a blatant demonstration of disrespect and contempt toward God. When we are bearing a false witness, we are doing it to God. Think of it that way. You can be sure God is not pleased when we carelessly choose to fulfill Satan's mission when we bear false witness against our neighbor. Whose kingdom do we believe we're advancing when we lie? It's not God's. Let's make sure that we do not become a tool of the enemy. Moving to my second question. We first ask, how do we bear false witness against our neighbor? There has to be some reasons. Why do we bear false witness against our neighbor? I got to step back here because I could go on a tangent. And I need to be careful. <laughs> if we're honest... We expect people that are not Christians to engage in the practice of bearing false witness. That's a pretty normal expectation. The problem is, too often Christians are caught up doing the same thing. You could say, ouch. Uh, growing up in church as a pastor's kid and being involved as an adult in church ministries most of my life in different points in time, I have seen with my own eyes, I've heard with my own ears, how Christians are capable and even worse willing to commit the sin of bearing false witness against a neighbor. In some cases, maybe unintentional, but in other cases, it's done on purpose and deliberately. Although there are a whole bunch of reasons why we uh, bear false witness, I'm only going to cover three this morning. 
Number one, we're going to, one of the reasons is selfishness. Number two, envy. And number three, recognition. Selfish or self-centered people, if you know them, they firmly believe that the world revolves around them. The only acceptable thing for them is for everyone to pursue making possible their desires, their wants, and to always follow suit on their demands. Sometimes this behavior is developed during their childhood, right? With uh, enabling parents. But other times, these attitudes appear later in life. However, Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. A selfish or self-centered person cannot fathom that someone else can be more significant than them. When it comes time to gain something or have an advantage over someone else, in their stubborn self-centeredness, they are capable of doing anything, including lying to attain their selfish objective. In the Bible, that's what we're preaching this morning, right? We find a story of David, King David. <laughs> we all love King David. This is the story where David's selfish pursuit of pleasure causes him to order Bathsheba to be brought to him to sexually assault her. And as a result of this act of rape, she becomes pregnant. David's selfishness was at such a level that it led him to say multiple lies to cover up his mess. That's what happens with lies. You say one, you have to say another one, and another one, and another one to cover each one. So, David lied several times, and then when he wasn't successful... He finally schemed to have Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, placed on the front line of the battle. Then they were instructed to leave him alone. And Uriah was killed by the enemy. If you want all the details, you could go home and read 2 Samuel 11, because that's all there. Now, the story doesn't end there. God did not allow David's sin to go unpunished. God sent the prophet Nathan to expose the sin of David and to announce God's judgment upon him. And like David, far too many people today are selfishly pursuing pleasure with no regard for either consequences or for the impact of their actions upon others, their neighbors. They're so selfish. Another reason why we bear false witness is envy. Envious people have a hard time dealing with the fact that other people can achieve things, own things, uh, get to do a lot of other things. The definition of envy in a simple way is the painful feeling of wanting what someone else has. In the Bible, in Genesis 4, verses 3 through 13, it's a long story, I'm going to keep it short. You might remember Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel offered an offering to God, but one was acceptable and one was not. Cain's was not acceptable, but Abel's was. And what happened with Cain? Envy. He got so angry. How did this happen? And while they were in the field, what did he do? Cain went upon his brother and he killed him. Now, God, the omnipresent God that knows everything also, 
comes around and says, uh, Hey, Cain, um, where's your brother Abel? And Cain goes, He's talking to me? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And of course the Lord, in his loud, thundering voice says, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is trying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. You could read all the details there later on. Friends, envy can lead us to do many horrific things. Yes, you and me, all of us here. Under rage, we are all capable of committing all sorts of atrocities. Triggered by envy, we can surely bear false witness against our neighbors, which, by the way, also can include our biological siblings. My third reason why we bear false witness is recognition. It's always very satisfying to be acknowledged for achieving a difficult task. When we're rewarded for our good work, it surely makes us feel really good, especially if we're acknowledged in front of our peers. How about when other people are doing positive things and being recognized for their goodwill? Is it possible to want to do the same thing simply to be acknowledged? In the book of Acts, chapter 5, we find a story of a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. But before we go there, to have a little context, in chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, uh, we read, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. We have to admit that was awesome. <laughs> that was really, really good. The needy were being helped financially, and of course, the folks that were selling their property and giving the money away, they were being re recognized for their generosity. Here's where in chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira were deceived by Satan with the desire for recognition. They sold a piece of property to give to charity. Let's say, I gave a big number in the last service. Let's say it was $30,000, right? So they sell the property, but then they say, I want to stay with $10,000 of it. You know, we'll just give $20,000 of the property. So Ananias goes to the apostles with $20,000, right? And he says, hey, we sold the property for $20,000. Honestly, they had all the right to say, hey, we sold it for thirty, dollars and we're going to give twenty dollars to the church, right? That's not the problem here. The problem was they wanted to appear like they had sold the property and were giving the full amount they received for the property. It's quite obvious. They desired recognition but weren't as generous. In Acts 5, verses 3 to 5, I'm jumping around here. Uh, Peter asked Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back yourself uh, part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your, yours? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You have not lied to man, but to God. 
And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. That means he died, okay? (laughs) To make matters worse, after three hours, Sister Sapphira shows up. Not knowing what had happened, she shows up at church, most surely to get some recognition. She might have been singing, God is so good. God is so good. Then Peter asked her, hey, come over here. Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And Sister Sapphira says, oh, praise God, glory to God. Yes, we sold it for that amount. And then Peter says, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet, and she breathed her last, which means she died. Okay? So why do we engage in bearing false witness? There are so many reasons. I've only selected three. But selfishness, envy, and a desire for recognition are only a few of those possible reasons. My third question this morning, how do we bear true witness in favor of our neighbor? What's the opposite of bearing false witness? Well, bearing true witness. One of the major emphasis of this ninth commandment is that we should not distort the truth in order to hurt our neighbor. Now, how do we bear true witness that positively affects our neighbor? I invite you to Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. It's not going to be on the screen, but if you have it there or you, you could listen. We find Jesus, he's teaching his disciples the details of what we learn later to be the, the church discipline plan. And it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. Does that sound familiar? So that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. It's possible and it's all right for a Christian to ignore sometimes, sometimes, the sins of others. Just as Peter uh, teaches us in his first letter in chapter 4, verse 8, it says, love covers a multitude of sins. If we make an issue of every sin that, some, every sin that someone commits, We would be tied up continually in confrontation and church litigation. (laughs) That's not what we're all about. Nonetheless, when we see a definite need to correct someone, either for their own good or for the good of the church or for both, Jesus gives us clear instructions here. I'll break this up. It's not to talk about the person behind their back. That will be gossip, right? but to confront them directly. If that confrontation doesn't bring restoration, then the accuser is to bring two or three witnesses. If that second confrontation fails, the accuser should pursue formal church discipline. Brothers and sisters, it's important to point out that the Apostle Paul urges 
who could, those who will confront others to confront themselves first. If we read out of Galatians 6, verse 1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. When we deal with someone else's sin, we need to constantly ask ourselves if our approach is gentle or not. Gentleness is key. It's a key character trait in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, and it's often compromised in the moment of confrontation with someone else. Let's make one thing very clear this morning. Anyone that chooses to correct someone else, as Jesus told us, should take the plank from their own eye first before attempting to remove a speck from someone else's eye. A person that attempts to admonish someone else should always put aside their pride, leave it home, understanding that sin affects us all. We are all vulnerable to sin. One last thing, the reputation of a person is a very delicate thing, not easily restored after it's compromised. When someone accuses another of wrongs through gossip, through inadequate testimony, and or harsh confrontation, they could damage a person's reputation beyond repair. An important thing we should always pursue is to protect others' reputations as best as we can. And I'm landing the plane. Theologian and writer Jared C. Wilson says the following. When we bear false witness against our neighbor, we are bearing false witness about God. When we lie to or gossip about our brother, we are implicitly testifying that God is not our God and that he does not care about honesty or justice. If we claim allegiance to God but tear down our brothers, we declare God a liar. Folks, the gospel calls us to a better way. When we position ourselves around the finished work of Christ, think about that. We are compelled to bear true witness about God. And when we find Christ supremely valuable and fulfilling, the desire to tear down our neighbor vanishes. It just disappears because we see them as image bearers of God. What we wouldn't do to God, we will not do to our neighbor. We bear true witness to God when we seek our neighbor's welfare by serving them and even sacrificing for them. If they require correction, we speak truth in love to them and we restore them gently, seeking not their shame or exasperation, but their building up in Christ. In the church, we appeal to the Christ held dear by our brothers and sisters. Just as Paul did with Peter. If you're not familiar with that story in Galatians 2.14, Peter was doing something that was not right. And Paul confronting him to his face, not murmuring behind his back, and surely not pulling out his whip of moralism and trying to straighten him up. He lovingly tells him, hey, Peter, you're out of line. You are not in line with the gospel. That is bearing true witness to our neighbor. By bearing witness in our speech to and about him to the truth, that's how we bear true witness. 
I want to read something. Matthew. I thought about it this morning. Matthew 27. Maybe you are in the receiving end of somebody or some people bearing false witness to you. Jesus experienced the same thing. Okay. Jesus, more than anybody else, knows. And in verse 13 of Matthew 27, it says, Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Jesus was falsely accused in so many different ways, mistreated. But what did he do? He remained silent. You might recall Stephen in Acts 7. Starts in Acts 6 and moves to Acts 7. They were accusing him because he was doing signs and wonders. He was preaching. And the religious people of that time weren't happy about it. And they devised a whole scheme of bearing false witness against him. What did Stephen do? He spoke out. He gave the whole Old Testament in chapter 7 a, a wonderful summary. It takes like 50 verses. But then when they accused him, if you go to Acts 7, I don't want to paraphrase that wonderful phrase. Acts 7, verses 59 and 60 says, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. If you are the victim of someone or some people bearing false witness to you, let me encourage you this morning. Leave it in the hands of God. You might be angry. You might be disappointed. You might feel like, I need to speak up. I need justice. God will take care of it. Leave it in his hands. My encouragement for you today is not to let the struggle of bearing false witness define you and destroy you, destroy your relationships. Jesus has made the way for truthful living and given us the power to overcome the struggle by clinging to what? To the source of truth. God himself. Brothers and sisters, do you need to repent today of lying or bearing a false witness? Confess your sin of lying to God and simply stop bearing false witness against your neighbor. Also, today you can make a commitment to bear true witness with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're here today and you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you, don't quench the spirit. It may be that he's challenging you to let go of everything. And be willing to surrender your life completely to him by repenting of your sin and calling out the name of Jesus for salvation. It could also be that you need to be once and for all bold in sharing your faith with others. Could it be that you are being called to get out of your comfort zone and begin to disciple new believers? so they can grow and mature in Christ. No matter what, today can be the first day of a new beginning where you can take the next step to be 
fruitful and productive for the kingdom and glory of God. If you're here today and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, let me tell you, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation for you. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, Jesus is telling you today, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You can either come up front here to talk and pray with some folks that will be up here, or on your way out, you can stop at the next steps area there. There will be people there ready to talk with you and pray with you. We would love to come beside you and pray with you as you give your life to Jesus today. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Father God, for Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior, being our Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you paid it all on the cross. And even our sins of now and in the future, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and true to cleanse us of our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And this morning as we preach, uh, uh, if there are people that are convicted, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, uh, there is hope. All we have to do is repent and confess our sin to you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be people of truth. Help us to be true witnesses in favor of our neighbors. That is our prayer, Lord, that when we leave this place this morning, we go ready and determined for your glory and for your kingdom to bear true witness to our neighbors. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.